Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Perfect Jewish Parents, Israel at War. I am Aswa Sagiv, scholar-in-residence for the Shalom Hartman Institute and visiting assistant professor at University of California, Berkeley. And I'm Joshua Layden, director of education for the Shalom Hartman Institute. In the many conversations we've had with students, young people, their parents, and their educators since October 7th, we've heard confusion, frustration, helplessness, all in dealing with the framing of the war and the accusations that have been leveled at Israel and the Jews in public schools, on university campuses, and online. The public discourse around Israel and Gaza is peppered with ideological terms, colonialism, decolonize, oppressors, oppressed, anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism, justice, and injustice, all in TikTok soundbites that are quite confusing. This episode gets a bit heady. We're going to explore the language and ideas that our young people are encountering on college campuses, in schools, and on social media as we, parents and educators, struggle with helping them navigate both the experience and the ideas that they face. The goal of this episode is not to convince our children or students of any one position, but to unpack the ideas behind this discourse, giving us some language to engage in conversations with our young people and help them make sense of what they're experiencing. For this purpose, we're joined today by Dr. Tomer Persico, a research fellow at the Hartman Institute in Jerusalem and a Rubenstein fellow at Reichman University. Tomer was also the Bay Area Scholar-in-Residence for the Shalom Hartman Institute and visiting professor at UC Berkeley. We'll be right back with this conversation. It is important and refreshing to receive a journal like Sources. I rely on Sources for a deeply informed and well-curated collection of essays responding to current events and issues in contemporary Jewish life. Hi, I'm Claire Sufrin, editor of Sources, a journal of Jewish ideas. We get in-depth information from noted scholars, often in dialogue with one another, which is not to say always in agreement. In the newly released spring issue, scholars examine the theme of Jewish life tomorrow, reimagining key Jewish concepts for the present and future. Read, reflect, and subscribe to the award-winning journal at sourcesjournal.org. Welcome back, Tomer. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Masoa. Tomer, by way of introduction, how has your last year looked like both before October 7th and yeah. how does it look like since? It was quite a year. My last year was weekly and at times twice weekly demonstrations against the Israeli government, against the judicial overhaul that, uh, in my opinion, would have uh, neutered the Supreme Court and consolidated too much power with the executive branch of the government here in Israel. Me, my wife, my friends, we have been protesting all this year. I was writing articles about it. And that's it. It all changed, obviously, the 7th of October. The movement that protested the government, which was a, an amazing civic awakening here in Israel, stopped at once, and we are all recruited, literally or metaphorically, you know, more or less, to the, may I say, war effort. I mean, it's we are at war, and rockets are flying overhead, and we're all concerned, we're heartbroken, and trying to get a sense of understanding what in fact happened to us and what's, what's the path ahead. Tomer, it's great to be with you again. If people didn't pick up, Tomer had Masua's role here in the Bay Area before, uh, yeah. before her. And what people in America might not know is you're really a public intellectual in addition to a, a professor in Israel, and you help sort of 
clarify for people what the big ideas that are behind sort of the day-to-day news that's happening in Israel? I try. Well, you try. Okay, great. Fine. I think you do it well. And you're also someone who I think is, as you described, you're of the left, both sort of on the streets, but you also, you wrote a book about B'Tselem Elohim, about the image of God and its relationship to sort of human rights and and human dignity in the Jewish tradition and, and in Western tradition. I'm wondering, it's sort of been a confusing time for many of us who in America and in maybe around the world who see ourselves on the left and see all of a sudden lots of people on the left standing up for Hamas, treating them like freedom fighters and not terrorists. And after, especially after seeing some such sort of gruesome things. And then when we're trying to talk to friends, colleagues, young people, teenagers, college students, it, it feels very confusing. I wonder, like, as you think about sort of what you're noticing, whether it's like the language of decolonization, sort of the notions of justice, what are you seeing? And and can you help us make sense of this a little bit? Yeah, well, maybe first of all, we need to realize that when we're talking about the left, we're not talking about one thing. There are different strands of left-wing thought and left-wing action. And we may differentiate really in, in simplistic, but I think helpful terms, the liberal left from the radical left. There has always been a strand of left, left-wing ideology that was not liberal and, and quite open about it. Marxist thought is not liberal. They didn't think liberalism was good. They thought it was a bourgeois, decadent, individual-centered idea. They thought differently. They thought about how to forward human flourishing differently. And this is also happening today. We have less of Marxism, but a lot of post-colonialism, a lot of identity politics, a lot of post-nationalism. And I would suggest also some anti-Semitism. On the left, also nothing new. Marx and certainly Stalin had anti-Semitic strains in their thought, in their actions. So the left is a lot of things. I, I personally define myself as a a liberal Zionist. I'm I'm certainly left-winged, but I'm not radical. And and I think there is we can understand now how how deficient some of the left-wing thought is when it comes to the very basic humanistic ideas of the sacredness of human life. What I find interesting is that in a lot of the scenes that I'm seeing today and my students are seeing today, there is no possibility for two people to be oppressed or two people to have claims on the same land or two people to say, both of us have been colonialized and one of us, one people has managed to free itself. The other people, I don't know, arguably, has it managed, didn't manage? Are we the ones who are stopping it from from decolonialize itself but but these terms it's 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 a zero sum game that doesn't allow for any nuanced discussion yeah i think there's a lot of binary and dogmatic thought today a really uh, a difficulty to hold two thoughts in the head at one time even the thought that the 7th of october attacks were a brutal carnage and a crime against humanity and the thought that Israel is occupying the West Bank and, you know, treating Gaza, let's say, unfairly, just these two thoughts are difficult for people to, to hold at the same time. And, and, uh, and that's obviously unfortunate. I will say one more thing. 
colonialism is not just an, an, uh, a word or a concept or something that you must resist. It has become, I believe, a primary fault, an eternal sin that countries may or may not engage in. I think post-colonial thought at this time uh, is regarding colonialism as the end-all and be-all of political atrocities. And here, because Israel is at this time engaging, at least, uh, I think, arguably, in colonial action in the West Bank, this sets Israel up as an easy target to resist with post-colonial thought, right? To, to, to attack on that ground. I have a colleague from a Canadian university that asked her Facebook followers the following question. If you're a Jew, when you hear the words, from river to the sea, Palestine will be free, what are you hearing? And if you are going to pro-Palestinian rallies, when you chant river to the sea, what are you referring to? It was fascinating to see hundreds and hundreds of, of responses. All the Jews, I didn't see any exception, and I've read a lot of comments, said, I hear the ethnic cleansing of Jews and the annihilation of the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. And then the majority of the people who are chanting this said, oh, we just want one state where everyone will be free and everyone's rights will be kept and everyone will be safe. Right. How do you explain this incredible gap between the using and the understanding of the term? I think there are two things here. First of all, I, th- I think we need to acknowledge that there are people who are chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, and thinking explicitly of Jews not being there. You know, yeah. I've heard, I've seen videos on Twitter with people saying, well, they should just go back to where they came from, whether it's Poland or Tunisia or Libya, right? Uh, so, Without so acknowledging the fact that it's impossible and also impossible. immoral. Yeah. O- obviously. For them, it's moral because the Jews are colonizers, etc. But I think here we are touching upon another divergence in thought between Israelis and Americans. And I say this in general, not only Jewish Americans. For many Americans, the only model of national nationalism or, 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 or the nation state that they know is the U.S., And the U.S. is a nation state made up of immigrants. It's a constitutional republic. It's a place where people come together and vow into an agreement, a social contract, as it were, which, you know, the Constitution stands for it and the American, you know, American values, etc. Israel is not like that. And indeed, almost every country in the world is not like that. Most nation states are ethnic nation states. They are the expression and and sovereignty of a certain ethnic group, Jews, Greeks, Japanese, Spaniards, etc. These are peoples who didn't come together only uh, to to consummate some social contract. They they have always been there together, right, or Mm. ethnically connected in some way. And with the spring of nations in the 19th century or whatnot, they have formed their own nation states. And I think Americans don't get that at all. They don't get that ethnic groups can, should, rightfully 
have their own self-determination, be stewards of their own future and faith, it just doesn't compute for Americans who understand nation states as many people coming together from different places and simply living together by a certain set of rules. So when many Americans say, from the river to the sea, Palestine should be free, and imagine such a, you know, such a conception of, well, you know, just one person, one vote, everybody is a citizen, everything works well, that's how we do it here. They don't get that we have two ethnic groups in Israel, both of them not liking each other, right? Let's put it mildly. Different cultures, different languages, and in a, in a situation where we've already had a hundred years of struggle and with a history that looking at other places, we know from experience would be very hard for these peoples to live together as citizens of the same state. If you look at Yugoslavia, if you look at Czechoslovakia. Lebanon. Lebanon, exactly. We have our, our neighbor here in Lebanon. It's very difficult to make it work. Belgium makes it work, but uh, probably will be more like Lebanon than Belgium. But you, you also said something else. It's not just that it won't work. You're saying it's also disrespecting of people's legitimate need for self-determination as ethnic peoples. And we're yeah. talking both about Jews and Palestinians or Israelis and Palestinians in our Exactly. In our this is where the post-nationalism uh, comes in. People don't understand that different ethnic groups need and have a right to self-determination. They have a right to be in control of their own faith. I am a Zionist because I want to have Jews be in control not only of their education and of their culture, but also of their sewer system. This is part of the deal. I don't want to have rights, right? Equal rights. I want to be, again, the steward of our own faith, to build something together here, which we can do in no other place, even though other places give us equal rights. It's something else, which, again, is very common around the globe. Many such Ethnic groups do that. Again, the Japanese do that, and the, and the Hungarians do that, and the British do that, etc. This also leads me to a different kind of, of moral question. How do we navigate being criticizers of Israel when needed, when we always educate our young people to be critical of ourselves? And now our young people are very confused because we said that we were very problematic. Yeah. Is there a time where we need maybe to stop criticizing? I don't think so. I don't think so. I criticize Israel even today. And, you know, I, I want to follow many mountainers and say, yes, the actions that the Israeli state has done, has, has taken over the last two decades and even more, have convinced the world that we are out to occupy the entire land, you know, from the river to the sea, by the way, yeah, not give the Palestinians the state that they deserve. Um, it's not only the past 20 years, even at this time, members of the current government are making it very hard for Israel to make the case that it only wants to defend itself. People who are talking about resettling Gaza, which, you know, again... God forbid. Yeah, again, is a, it can totally be interpreted as colonialism justly, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? People who are talking about dropping an atom bomb, right, on Ugh, Gaza. As disgusting. Such, such. I mean, this is the perhaps the worst government possible 
to wage this war. This is a government filled with religious extremists, fundamentalists that really hold a mirror image view of the Palestinian fundamentalists, right? And so I do criticize them. And I write on my, you know, on different social networks and because I think we should never, you know, give our government a blank pass, uh, even in times of war. I don't think they That's, are completely the mirror image of, of the fundamentalists, even though okay, I, I, I know, highly criticize well, them. Okay, okay, let's, let's not, you know, okay. I, I, we won't get into it yeah. now. But I again say we can hold two thoughts in our head at the same time. So Both I'm going to must... Okay. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you slightly on this. I, yeah. I want, and I think that we have been arguing for years. I mean, our whole career, in a sense, definitely mine, is built on the fact that we can hold two things at once. But I am also seeing a lot of the criticism that is being abused in order to delegitimize Israel altogether. And I feel that I'll say it differently because I don't really disagree with you, but I'm, I want to voice my frustration here. We are living in a binary world. We are living in a world of binaries, and yet we are educating our young people to push against those binaries. But what do you do? How can you make the world around you hear the non-binary and complexifying and nuanced way that is so important for us? I think we really are in a problem here. I mean, social networks and the whole internet culture, uh, TikTok, as, as, you know, as a very obvious example, have narrowed down the way that we think and the way we present things, the way we relate and comment about things. And I, I think it's a tragedy in that way. Public discourse has dropped a few levels and it was never, you know, too high, right? We are really in a problem. I don't have an easy solution for, for that, except for education that, that has to emphasize and double down on, on complexity and on, on nuances. Tomer, to end our discussion today, you are both very much inside and within the Israeli society, but also you are very much a member of the academic Western world. Can you share with us one moment of heartwarming from the past few weeks? I have an example, I think, that Masawa, do you also know about? I think the University of Berkeley, where you are now and where I was, issued a letter, not a formal letter of the university, but 300 professors came together and issued a letter. The president of the university signed it also that condemns the Hamas attack in very harsh terms and imposes the, the idea that, you know, we should, this, this war should end, but Israel has, certainly has a, a right to exist and to defend itself. So this from a university that I was, and that is certainly a very left-wing university, was, was a moment of comfort for me. And I want to say another thing. We need to remember that these radical proclamations and, and demonstrations are coming out at the end from a minority of universities and of students, most people don't think that way, are not indoctrinated that way. And though they, these universities and people are very influential, we shouldn't lose heart because 
again, because I think the majority of people understand very well, and it's not too hard to understand that the Hamas are not freedom fighters and are not, you know, making the case for Palestinian freedom or independence and, and, and really have to be at the end on the side of a democracy defending itself. So in that way, there, is, there certainly is hope. Almost a full circle from the, from the way that we started this conversation. I feel in the past few couple of weeks, I have been feeling that what we are facing now in North American discourse, but also around the world, is almost a continuation of the work that we have been doing and that you have, Tomer, been doing before October 7th. Because what we did before October 7th, Is, is reclaiming nationalism, right? And reclaiming Zionism and say that nationalism, mm-hmm. nationalism doesn't have to be in the hands of extremists and nationalism can mm-hmm. also be a national liberalism. And we already have language. It's not, it's not uncommon. We yeah. already have language about anti-Semitism from the extreme right, but we didn't have language so far and we didn't have a way to navigate the extreme left that we have been talking about today, I almost feel like yeah. our, our, our challenge now is to develop a moral and responsible and a, and a reclaim of, of a moral and responsible left that allows for, for example, that's self-determination claims of, of nations, etc. Thank you so much, Tomer, for joining us in this conversation and you know take care of yourself. We are Thank thinking you. about you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure, really. Perfect Jewish Parents is a production of the Shalom Hartman Institute, where we tackle pressing issues facing Jewish communities so we can think better and do better. You can check out our world-renowned faculty, free live classes, and events at shalomhartman.org. This episode was produced by Jan Lauren Greenfield and edited by Ben Azevedo. Our assistant producer is Tessa Zitter, M. Lewis Gordon is our production manager, and Maytel Friedman is our vice president of communications and creative. Subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts to hear more episodes as we release them. Thanks for listening.